Super Talk Mississippi media production. What is Moondog? Moondog Makers and Bakers is not just a catering company. It's blended tradition with innovation and something familiar just done differently. To get a taste of what they're truly all about, you can order some awesome merch, crafted spice blends, or request catering for your very own event. MoondogMakersandBakers.com What is up on a Wednesday? I am Brian Scott Rippey. My co-conspirator, as always, is Colin Brister. We appreciate you hanging out with us on this Wednesday, August 14th edition of the Rebel Report podcast. A lot to get to today. It's, uh, I guess, been a couple of days since we've been um, back on the show, and we've had a media availability in between. Uh, I'm about to head to practice after this one is over. Um, A lot of injury news. Ole Miss had their first scrimmage over the weekend. We got to talk to Matt Corral, Matt Luke's... um, Mohamed Sinogo and she don't even remember who the fourth one was at this point. Oh, Octavius Cooley about the scrimmage, some injuries that piled up, some different stuff about camp, uh, some colorful language from Rich Rodriguez, um, <laughs> among other things that I actually didn't even hear. I'll get to that in a second. I was on the other side of the field. Um, yeah, well, a lot going on. What's up, man? Not much. Not much. Uh, Rich Rod has lit the Ole Miss internet on fire as of late. Yeah, and I think part of it probably has to do with the time of year because this I don't really find that that big of a deal. I mean, it's like yeah, no. of course the language is funny and all that, and like you know if you like dick jokes or whatever, like I'm sure everyone's inner fifteen year old was laughing inside. Um, aside from that though, like I didn't think it was that big of a deal. Um, but yeah, a lot to get to. Um, I guess really just getting started off the bat, we'll gotta go through what Matt Luke had to say on on Monday a little bit um, with regards to just what happened in the scrimmage. So Ole Miss had Meet the Rebels Day on Friday or Saturday, excuse me, um, and then had a scrimmage after that. The scrimmage was about 100 plays. Um, you know, it, I mean, it was about as close to a game environment as these guys are going to get. I mean, the coaches were on the sidelines. Obviously, it's not completely live. Um, Grant Tisdale. And Matt Corral wore the normal white quarterback non-contact jerseys, but John Rice Plumley and Kincaid Dent were made available to live contact. I found that a little interesting. Um, Dent suffered a concussion, got slammed on the ground, and suffered a concussion earlier, uh, early on in the scrimmage. Um, Plumley made a couple plays uh, with his feet. Apparently, he apparently scored a touch. Uh, he apparently got out and ran a good bit. Uh, made a couple plays and then scored a touchdown with his feet towards the end of the scrimmage, I believe is what Matt Luke said. Um, so as far as the backup quarterback race goes, I'm not exactly sure what to make of that. Uh, I guess that tells me to, if, you know, for the Memphis game, if it were tomorrow, Tisdale's probably the quarterback, but they want to see, they want to see more out of Plumlee and see what they have. And so they put he and Dent into the non, I mean, into the full on, like, susceptible to contact jerseys um i guess that's what i made of that but i guess it could be construed differently um I, yeah that's kind of what i thought if, if they had to have a backup quarterback for memphis that it, it is probably grant Tisdale. i don't feel like you're putting your your backup quarterback frankly in, in a contact jersey um now in saying that john rice plumley needed to be made live so he can you know i mean you got to play football at some point a lot of his game is, is involves you know using his feet getting outside the pocket making plays um, but yeah, I'm, I'm with you. If, if Matt Crowell's helmet pops off or he gets a sprained ankle, uh, God forbid, up there in Memphis, I would I would expect Grant Tisdale to go into the game. But it might not. It might be a situation where they don't know. Like the the score and time and, and situation may dictate who goes into the game as well. 
Um, yeah, I guess that's certainly possible, too. I think they just haven't seen a ton of Plumlee, and they'd like to see more out of it, um, or more out of him. Um, you know, that tells me, I don't know if it was just because Dent was hurt and he came out and he was not, like, participating in the scrimmage. Really, that tells me he might be a leg behind, but again, that's just me speculating, um, but, yeah, I thought that was interesting, and I, I think they continue to like what they see from John Rice Plumley. I think the coaching staff, uh, particularly Rich Rodriguez, like his, likes his skill set and how it kind of translates to what they want to do offensively. Um, really, the other takeaway is Matt Corral talked a lot about how the pace wasn't exactly where they want it to be or as, as consistent. Uh, consistency was really um, kind of the main refrain that, that Matt Luke and Matt Corral both kind of repeated over and over again with regards to what they want to see as far as improvement um that's pretty common for an august scrimmage particularly the amount of young players Ole Miss has on the offensive side um i did think the pace thing was interesting because rich rodriguez wants to go really fast wants to change up the pace a lot i think that's different from phil longo's because phil longo really knew no other speed than full speed and i think rich rodriguez wants to change the tempo a lot and kind of use both fast and slow to his advantage but i don't think they're consistently as quick as they want it to be in terms of getting the call in um corral said they get the play call in in about six seconds um but the main thing now is like basically, he was like, "We needed to be react. I mean, we don't need it to be reactionary. We needed to be instinctual to where, wherever the play goes, you put the ball down, hand it to the referee, get on the line, look over to the sidelines, get another call, and go again." Like that being kind of an instinctual thing is the next thing that they kind of need to knock out. Which I guess is a little thing, but again, that was interesting to me. Him talking about where the pace probably wasn't consistently where they want it to be. Yeah, I, I found interesting. You know how how they said they're going to use tempo. Um, they're not going to use it at all times, but you've got to have the ability to do it. Um, I, I kind of, I'm kind of interested to see how that goes once the season kicks off, and you know how how much they implement going fast, how much they slow it down. Frankly, something like you said, Phil Longo never did. Um, I think Kraus says that they're getting the play in within six seconds, and you know, obviously that's the that's the biggest key is, is to get the play in and get lined up. Um, but I, I'm interested to see how that works and how that comes to fruition because. Like I said, I mean, they're, they're going to use tempo at times, but there's going to be other times where it's, uh, it's a ground-and-pound offense, too. Yeah, and as far as the running back goes, it, the, what's been, int- I guess, another interesting development with regards to that is, well, he said, um, Matt Luke said that um, Scotty Phillips broke a long one um, for a touchdown, and um, or maybe it was just broke a long run. I don't know. It doesn't really matter. Um, what's been interesting is after that is Snoop Connor's kind of been the guy that's emerged as maybe he's 2A and and um, Jerry Neely is 2B with Willard being the one after that. If I, Again, that's just me guessing, but that's kind of what it sounds like. Um, Snoop Connor's really kind of made a, I don't want to say name for himself, that's not really the right phrase, but for a guy that came in and really benefited from being here as an early enrollee and going through the spring, um, he's made he's added to the I think he's single-handedly contributed to the depth of this room more so than anyone else because I'm not sure they thought he would contribute right away, but he's going to play, and he's going to play a good bit. And he might at least initially see a few more carries than Jaron Ely. I don't know, but I I know that he's kind of the – I don't want to say clear-cut second back because it's so hard to tell when you're only nine practices into this thing or ten practices, whatever the hell it is. But all I guess what I'm saying is Sue Connor is firmly in the mix and it's not as simple as it's just Phillips and Ely and then whoever's after. Yeah, no, I mean, Sue Connor's going to get carries this year. Uh, they, that was a really good pickup by them. Uh, not a lot of people knew it at the time. He's a three-star kid out of Hattiesburg, but 
that kid can play football. And uh, so I think he's going to – I would think he gets more volume carries than Ely at the beginning. But I feel like, it, you know, if they need a home run play, this, that Ely is going to be the guy that gets the ball. But it's, it's good for them to have options there. I mean, you, you're not getting through the SEC season with two running backs. So, I mean, to, to have a guy that, that's come in that you can, you know, take the load of Scotty Phillips is, is a big deal too. Yeah, and – I guess then the next move after that was is they're they're deep enough at the position to where Devon Penniman has moved to tight end. Um, so Ole Miss is doing. Sometimes it feels like these guys are like on a merry-go-round of offensive positions. Um. Yeah, I get this move a lot, and honestly, I kind of like the idea of it. But it, basically, what it came down to is Ole Miss is doing a good bit of two tight end looks. Um, this year, as we've kind of talked about on this podcast before. And Jason Pellerin has been out for about a week with a concussion. And so basically what it comes down to is they have two pretty good pretty good targets, I guess you, you would call it, in Octavius Cooley and Jason Pellerin. But after that, there's really not there. I, I think I was I told it on either Monday's podcast or sometimes last week when they were, when they were doing the a two tight end set against air offensively and they had the, but the first team going and the second team going the other way. You had the two tight ends on the first team and it looked fine, but after that you had Jonathan Hess and Alex Faniel, who is a – Jonathan Hess is a converted defensive end slash linebacker. They didn't really know what they had. He, basically my point is, is he came over on the defensive side. Alex Faniel, I'm pretty sure, was a quarterback at one point. So you really don't have a ton there. They don't really need Devon Penniman at running back, at least not right now. Um, he's a guy that Rich Rod said a couple weeks – or about a week and a half ago before – um, they even made the move that he's got really good ball skills. They don't really know where he's at physically as far as a runner from you know the leg injury he suffered, and he hasn't played since 2017. Um, so he, he has the hands. Um, there's really no risk to this move at all, and his career maybe can have a second chapter, a guy who's been dealt a bad hand if this is a success. Yeah. No, I mean, like, like I said, I mean, it, it, it feels like musical chairs to a point, but Look, they're going to need another tight end. I mean, you've got Cooley, who has been coming on for four years now. Like you said, Faneuil and Pellerin. I think Pellerin's actually hurt right now. So they've got to have bodies at that position. And, and he probably is – I would think he gets on the field a lot more at tight end than he probably does at running back, right? Um. Yeah, probably. I mean, I guess you're an injury or two away. I mean, you can always move him back. Like, if they lose a running back or two in the first couple of games, they can always move Penniman back. But, yeah, he wouldn't – he would be – he has a chance to at least see the field as much or more often at the tight end position um, than he does at running back at this point just because he's missed so much time. He's not fully healthy. They have four really good backs ahead of him. I mean, Devon Penniman, if you were making a depth chart right now, is probably the fifth back on that. So this yeah. is an opportunity for his career to kind of have some second life. Maybe he finds a home here. Maybe it works. I'm not sure. I like the idea of it. I'm not sure the execution of it is necessarily going to work. But if it does work, then it's a bit raging success for Matt Luke and Rich Rodriguez if Rodriguez is still around next year because both Pellerin and Cooley are gone. They've got a couple tight end targets in recruiting. One of them, the kid from Oxford High School, you know, if you don't get one or both of those, either way, are you gonna like? Are they gonna come in and contribute immediately? My point being is, Penniman still has another year of eligibility and could legitimately be, if it is a success, the starting tight end next year. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, so and it, and it gives. I mean, he has time because like Cooley's gonna be the guy this year, and Pellerin's gonna be the guy, uh, and it's probably in a two tight end step. But I mean, like I said, it, it gives him an opportunity to get on the field more so than it probably did at running back. And he has time to learn the position. He's got another year of eligibility. Um, 
like you said, look, the tight end depth after this year is not great. I mean, you've got Alex Spaniel and now Devon Fenneman. Um, you're trying to recruit uh, Pegues at Oxford to come in, and he, he sort of probably had to play right away. So to just add another warm body at that position group, it certainly can't hurt anything. Yeah, and as far as, like, I don't know how much, like, it'll be interesting to watch how much more these guys are involved in the passing game. And obviously, Cooley has shown the ability um, to catch passes, but I, it's interesting listening to the both Rich Rodriguez and Matt Luke talk about the tight end position. I think they view Jason Pellerin as a bigger guy that's kind of more of a mismatch in the passing game, and they view Cooley as more of a physical guy that's really going to help in the blocking scheme and things like that. That's not to say Cooley's not going to catch passes. I think Pellerin probably catches somewhere around 15 passes this year, um, if I had to guess. What's interesting to me is Devon Penniman is 5'11", 231. That's not exactly a huge body frame for a tight end. So if you're throwing that guy on a seam route over the middle, like, what does that look like? I don't think you can do that. So how do they use him? I don't really know. But he has good enough hands. Um, he's heavy enough. I just The height is interesting to me. Yeah, I mean, look, usually you see tight end 6'2", six, 6'3". Six, um, but he played running back in the SEC. I know, you know, the injury and everything. But I don't, I don't feel like the athleticism is going to be a little bit or that much of an issue. But we'll see. Like you said, I mean, he is 5'11", at the end of the day. And for a tight end, that's not exactly uh, overwhelming. Yeah, um, I guess further going down the injury, the injury deal. Um, Sam Williams tweaked a knee in the scrimmage. He was in a green no contact jersey at practice on Monday, um, but was out there. He was limited. Didn't go through team stuff. Did some individual stuff. Um, Jalen Julius had an ankle th- ankle thing and sat out the scrimmage. Um, he, I believe, was at practice on Monday. Let me check through the notes I had and. Um, was played in a limited capacity. Um, they had a couple guys with concussions. I don't necessarily know what that means. It sounds like there's maybe another guy or two that Matt Luke did not disclose um, that possibly has a concussion. But I guess the good news, the bad news is for Ole Miss is there's a lot of guys in green jerseys and a lot of guys sitting out. The good news is, is none of this is serious, and I would bet all of these guys would play if the game were tomorrow, barring a couple of the concussion guys, because obviously that's a very strict like yeah. protocol type of thing. Um, Kadir Shepard, obviously not out there. He's got the broken hand. I think they expect him back at least sometime next week. Um, They're uh, close on Givens, right? Uh, I don't know about close. I think he's progressing along. He might be closer to getting back out there and doing some stuff. I'm not sure if he's actually like close to being out full practicing and, and ready for a game. I think that's really going to come down to the last week leading up to the leading up to the first game. Um, I'm just trying to make sure I didn't miss any injury news. Um, obviously, John John Haynes still not out there. I think they expect to get him back a little bit too. Uh, so I missed. So I guess we'll two part this. So obviously, the big thing that's kind of made the internet go crazy because that doesn't take much at all for Ole Miss is Rich Rodriguez's language in the. Uh, and whatever they were doing an offensive line drill and he basically yeah. was showing a technique and the way he showed the technique I believe was bite the nuts and stick the thumb in the I'll say butt he didn't say butt um you know take of that what you mean if there's anyone under 15 listening to this podcast sorry close your ears um I found it to be funny I didn't hear this so I was on the other side of the field we haven't seen a lot of the defensive depth chart type of stuff and we still don't know a ton about it but they were doing a longer version of that pursuit drill where they were out there a a good bit longer and so I was trying to get 
uh, jot down some notes and kind of see who was running with what team defensively. The offensive stuff was going on the other side of the field. Obviously, another reporter or two. I think Neil maybe put the one video up that kind of made the rounds. Yep. I think someone else may have had it too. I don't know. Um, quite colorful, Joel. Breaking news: Richrod cusses, and that's a pretty lot. much all I've got to uh, got to add on that. He cusses, and he cusses a decent bit. He is a uh, football guy. Yeah, it's uh, it feels like a different environment than the past, you know, seven years out there. Um, yeah, maybe I don't know. I mean, you're always going to have crazy position coach guy that cusses. Um, Did you underfreeze though? Like, I don't really think there was that guy. I don't know if it's cusses, but Matt Luke yelled a lot. That guy never had a voice as a position coach ever. <laughs> okay, he was yelling enough. and screaming a ton. Yeah, Matt's not a big cusser. Um. I mean, no, he hasn't been his head coach, but honestly, that was three, four years ago. Now, I don't remember exactly you know, the things you hear and stuff like that. I do know he nev- nev- never had a voice um, ever. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's a little different, but I don't think it's much different than any of these, any, most of these things these kids hear. I, don't, I couldn't see, even in the video, half those kids threw their face masks, but I imagine most of them thought it was fairly funny. <laughs> I would. I would laugh real hard. Yeah. Because um, he wasn't, like, yelling at a kid. No, he's just showing them the technique thing. So he's, I don't know, blue-collar guy, um, which Matt, really cliche that Matt Luke likes to use a lot. Um, so, yeah, that's I don't really have much to add on that. Uh, I think, I mean, people didn't really freak out in a bad way, I don't think. I think people just thought it was funny. Um, yeah, they asked to see, they, like, after that happened, they asked to use discretion as far as posting those videos. Neil posted it anyway. I don't really blame him. If you're going to let us video, like, you can't be like, actually, don't post that. Um, so. Well, you're not going to be able to video anymore after that. But. Uh, I think they'll still let them video um, most of it. I think they'll just ask him to be careful or maybe just kind of look at it. I mean, it's not the biggest deal in the world. Like, no, it, no. So, I don't know. I thought it was funny. Um, as far as the first team defense, what I had written down as of what was on Monday is the two cornerbacks were Kedron Smith and Jalen Jones. Um, C.J. Miller was at strong safety. Armani Linton was at free safety. Um, that's mo- that's probably a result of Jalen Julius and John Haynes being out. I mean, that's definitely in part a result of Jalen Julius and John Haynes being out of the two safety spots. Um, Brennan Williams and Chuck Wiley were manning the outside linebacker spot. That's Sam Williams being out and limited and Kadir Shepard not being there. Inside linebackers, Muhammad Sanogo and Lakia Henry, which I found interesting because Lakia Henry's kind of fluctuated between the third team and the first team all the way through. Um, the defensive depth chart's kind of a revolving door right now. The defensive ends were Ryder Anderson and Austrian Robinson, and the nose tackle was Benito Jones. So that's what I had in my notes the other day. You can read that at supertalk.fm. Um, you know, Josiah Coatney and Tariqus Tisdale ran with the second team uh, as far as at the two defensive end slots. I don't really know how much stock you put into that. They're all going to play and play a good bit. I think Coatney's going to be a starter. I think Tisdale's probably a starter too, but Austin Robinson's a pretty good player too. So is Ryder Anderson. I wouldn't put a ton of stock into that. Um, there's a second team nose tackle that was a little surprising to me, but I think that might have been a result of no one being out there. I don't know. Ladarius Cox is getting in the mix in some of this. He's a huge, huge dude. Um, and a guy on the defensive line that I think they're really high on. I think that's a true freshman that's probably going to contribute on the defensive side. I think we had a mailbag question a while back about a freshman that might contribute on the defensive side. I would look no further than Ladarius Cox. I think the coaching staff really likes them. Um, he's a big dude. Um, he's physical, and I think he's got the body type and is ready to play immediately. So that's um, 
that's really some. That's really where I would look as far as the true freshman contributing on defense. Um, you know, I don't know if you can make much out of the secondary at this point. I think Miles Hartsfield is going to play a lot. I think Keedron Smith's going to play a lot too. You kind of got three corners that are not de facto starters, but three guys that are capable of starting games. Um, so that's really kind of all the notes I had as far as that. Um. Do you, do you take more notes at practice, or did you take more in class your four years of college? Uh, cl- I mean, practice without a doubt. I didn't take notes in class. <laughs> I mean, just you, were being... the, uh, you were the guy that brought his computer and did nothing, right? Yeah, I played eight-ball pool. Yeah, same. Yeah, um, and guess what? Graduated with a marketing degree from Ole Miss, so did okay. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, so they're about there uh, – they will practice again. Uh, I'm about to head to practice after we reco- after we get done recording this. Um, what time practice? Uh, 11? Uh, 10.45. They basically go 10.45 every day, Monday, Wednesday, Friday. I think they go the same time Tuesday, Thursday, but obviously we're not out there for those. Um, so we'll have notes and coverage and video and all kinds of stuff at uh, supertalk.fm with regards to that. I didn't really have a ton. Um, I don't you guess. Get the Michael Jordan thing? No, I was just I, I, didn't, I was thinking just notes from completely oh. from practice. Um, you know, there are about nine, ten practices in, so I think there are some definites at this point. So I wrote down a couple of okay. of stuff that I, I think is probably uh, fairly certain. And I think one was uh, one we already kind of discussed. Snoop Connor is going to get um, a lot of carries. Uh, I say a lot of carries. Snoop Connor is going to be firmly in the mix for the running back. In terms of the running back rotation, um, I don't know what this means for Isaiah Willard because he's kind of the guy that got – he was the second guy last year. I don't think he'll necessarily be the second guy this year. I don't nah. know how his workload is affected. Um, I guess that's a good problem to have, but I imagine his carries get siphoned off a little bit. Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, he, he was serviceable last year, but you've got two guys in Snoop Connor and Darian Ely that are, that are you know, quality extremely good SD, or can be extremely good SEC backs. Uh, they're going to get the bulk of the carries. I mean, Willard was was good for what he was asked to do last year, but uh, I feel like those guys are just a little bit ahead of the game. As far as definite, did you write this one down? Uh, Matt Corral will be the quarterback. Did you get that one? Yeah, I left that one off just because that seemed the very obvious. As far as the backup, I kind of it was similar to what we were talking about earlier. Um, I think. Probably, and again, this is just me guessing, so I guess this one doesn't even count as definite. If the game were tomorrow, it's probably Tisdale as the backup quarterback. You get a couple more games in the season, I would probably put my money on John Rice Plumley if he continues to progress. How does that work? Like, do you have to do you have to do stuff differently during game week for a backup quarterback? You have to prepare differently, you know, with that guy, or can you continue to just train all three to be, you know, to, to keep coming? How does that work from a backup quarterback perspective? I mean, I think if it would just be one of those deals where, where if they really like, if they really don't know, Tisdale and uh, Tisdale and Plumley just split second team reps. Okay. Um. But so I don't know. I mean, it, it, it'll be interesting to see how that kind of plays out. I don't think it's a huge deal either way. Um, you know, I mean, if Macarell goes down, they're really in a tight spot anyway. No matter who comes in, and you know, you could try one or if not both of them. Um, I'm trying to think of another definite I had. Um, I the I don't 
I guess this isn't doesn't count as a definite. I am fascinated by the edge position and how that plays out because that's really the main difference in this defense. And like, what does that look like? The first game, are they like? I, I I'm interested to see what that looks like because how much how much pass rush responsibility do they have versus pass coverage responsibility? I, I I don't really know what that looks like. I will be fascinated to watch that. Yeah, I'm interested to see how that works out. That's a good point. Um, and, and see how these guys operate out in the space, covering pass. You know, uh, they've, something they've ever been asked to do. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how that works. I guess Sam Williams technically did last year in Northwest, but I'm, I'm interested in that as well for sure. Yeah, Williams would be interesting too because I think he still has a little way to go with regards to learning this defense and kind of learning, uh, kind of learning what to do and, and it becoming instinctual instead of him having to think and then react. Um, Everyone says this is the same defense they played in high school. Um, literally everyone that has uh, come through and, and done interviews has said that, um, which is kind of – I mean, that's just kind of the, co- the common refrain. I mean, that, so they, they could have played a 10-1 defense in high school and the kid the kids would be like, yeah, this is the same defense I played in high school. Like, oh, really? Um, Octavius Cooley dropped 10 pounds. Um, he was at 275 at one point last year. He's down to 265. Looks in pretty good shape. That's a kid that's kind of had some – some struggles with that, among some other things, early on in his career. Um, if he has a big year, Ole Miss will be obviously much, very, very much so better for it. Just because Pellerin's not really that proven at tight end, Cooley's kind of the guy they've been waiting to come along. I don't know how many catches Cooley has this year. I'd set the over under at thirteen. I think I'd go over because I think Richrod's going to make the tight end the focal point. Uh, I'm not saying I'd feel confident, but I think I'd go over thirteen. Um, over under on amount of times Matt Corral is sacked in the first game. I put it at four. I was going to say four and a half. That's uh, a lot, man. If you're sacked think, four I, times, I think I would go right with four. I think I would. I would say push on four. Yeah, man, that's a lot. If he gets sacked five times, they're going to be. They could. Crazy. They could be in trouble. Um, but I mean, as we've said a hundred times, the offensive line really just kind of is what it is at this point. Um. Trying to think what else I had. Um, who leads the team in rushing in the first game? Scotty Phillips. I don't know. I think it could potentially be Ely or Connor because I could see it be one of those things where Ely or Connor breaks a longer run and then like it has like eighty five yards. Um, like I did. I could see one of those things where like like Connor has one. Uh, I don't even know what I'm saying. Connor and E-League broke a longer run, but Phillips kind of gets more carries and them still end up with more yardage. That might be a bold prediction I have. For that first game, uh, just give me one bold prediction for the first game as far as just anything. Uh, Okay. Matt Corral throws for over 400 yards. Okay. I think they're going to shred Memphis in the air. Now, look, that that's based on the offensive line holding up. But I think Memphis' secondary has got a chance to get exposed that day. So I'm going I'm to go Corral over 400. Corral over 400. Okay, that's a lot of yardage. That is a lot of yards, but I think Ole Miss is going to put an emphasis on throwing the football. I really do. Fair enough. I don't know. That's a ton, and like you got that many running backs. Richrod likes to run the ball a lot. It just, I guess, really depends if the offensive line holds up on both ways because if they're to run the ball with consistency, you know, they might try to really just kind of line up and beat them up that way. Um, one of the things that I that Matt Luke and Matt Crabble said over the scrimmage is they were pleased with how the offense 
um, ran the ball with consistency, which I guess is a good thing for Ole Miss. Um, I don't know. I mean, obviously, it's hard to tell in a scrimmage because they're playing against the Ole Miss defense who's had its fair share of struggles. But I guess that offensive line holding up in any kind of environment um, is a good thing. And so if they're able to run the ball consistently, how many times are they going to pass it? I guess that'd be another prediction. How many times is Matt Corral going to throw? Uh, I mean, that's fair. But I, what I was getting at is Memphis' secondary has a lot of problems. So I just kind of thought Ole Miss might put an extreme emphasis. Look, Memphis' front seven is pretty good uh, for, for, you know, American Conference standards. I think Ole Miss has a chance if they want to abuse that secondary. Ole Miss's leading receiver for the first game is who? Ooh, Elijah Moore. I was going to go Moore or Braylon Sanders. Yeah, I think it'll be one of the regulars. Yeah, if it's if it, I don't, I mean, Braylon Sanders is a pretty decent deep threat over the middle of the field. If it's Gregory or Battle, it's because they caught one really long pass. More will probably, if you're talking about most receptions, I think that's more probably pretty easily out of the slot. Um, next one I had. What is Tylen Knight's stat line for the first game? Oh, um, okay. Let's go four carries for like I don't know seventeen yards, and then uh, let's go like. Five catches for 60. I think he's going to be used a good bit. I'll go five carries, six receptions. I don't know. As far as the yardage, maybe 45 and 30. I mean, 55. I don't know. I think he could get around 85, 90. I don't know. 95 all yards seems. With the amount of. going up, bro. What? It keeps going up. Yeah, I know. With the amount of players they have, though, or skill skill position guys, but that receiver running back. I'm not sure how Knight fits in. I think he does. I'm just not sure how heavily he's used, particularly in the first game. That'll be kind of interesting to watch. I think I'll settle on like 85 all-purpose yards and like, I don't know, 45 of them come through the air and with a couple receptions, maybe in the flats or something like that, and then a couple carries. Um, Amount of yards the defense gives up? Ooh. 500. I think I think both teams are going to score a lot. I don't know, man. That defense last year, as bad as it was, only averaged four hundred eighty-three and giving up a game. Was it really? Yeah. I just, I, the only thing, the only thing that makes me makes me say that is because Texas A and M put up five hundred yards, and people said that Ole Miss's defense played better that day. Yeah, that one was a little different, though, I guess, because Ole Miss had a couple of turnovers very deep in A&M territory where A&M put together a couple of really long drives, and then Ole Miss turned it into two turnovers. One of the turnovers was like a 97-yard scoop and score by Zedrick Woods. So, yeah, they gave up a lot of yards. They were also on the field a ton. The time of possession in that game, I don't remember exactly what it was, but was incredibly lopsided, and I think that's part of where the blame came. I remember writing after that game, it's like, yeah, the defense gave up 38 points, but you can't really put that on them because they were on the field a ton. Um, Fair during enough. that game, I, I still I'm about to look that up. Four fifty or so. I, I, look, I hope this defense is better. I really do, but I, I, I'm gonna have to see it before I believe it. I guess, um, and I think they'll be coached better. But man, it's still gonna be. There's still some depth issues there. I think they give up under four sixty. That's my prediction. Okay. All right. First game, they held their own against Texas Tech last they year in the first that. game. Yep. You kind of have some first game growing pains. Everyone's healthy. You're completely at full strength. The other offense is kind of, I mean, for the back of lack of a better phrase, tripping over its own dick a little bit trying to work out the kinks. Um, let's, uh, let's, what do you think the over-under is? Let's see. In points? Yeah. Like, uh, like, what do you think it is in Vegas right now? Um. Oh, Honestly, I have no idea. I have, I have not looked at that. No, I mean, like, 
take a guess. What do you think it would be? Uh, 62? Close, 68. Okay, that's probably fair. What, that's a game that both teams are in the 30s? Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, that's uh, they're calling that a 37-31 win for Memphis because Memphis is a six-point favorite. So that a and time of possession was not as bad as I thought. It was 37-22. to Still pretty bad, but yeah. Or 37-23, basically, is what it was, because 37-01, 22-59. That's not great. Um, nice. I don't know, man. There were a couple of Hugh Freeze games in 2016 and Longo in 2017 where it's like, how does that even happen? It was so lopsided. Um, <laughs> I guess considering Longo, it wasn't so bad. Yeah, I guess that's true. So, yeah, I think I'm still going to go under 460 and, like, the fact that that counts as me being bullish on the defense in terms of the opening game is kind of a sad indictment of just really where it where it is at. Um, trying to think if we had any over if I had any over any other over under predictions written down for the first game. Um, oh, I had a bold prediction. Ole Miss uh, for, takes uh, gets records two takeaways. Okay. They record two takeaways and hold them under 460. They're going to win, man. More than likely, unless the offense is a total disaster. Because that's the whole thing here, is if Ole Miss goes in that first game and the offensive line is a disaster, nothing else matters. That's fair. That's Be- fair. Because I- if they can't move the ball, like if Matt Corral's running for his life, they can't really throw the ball, they can't run the ball with much consistency, nothing else matters. The defense could play a game of its life and it won't matter. I mean, yeah. If the offensive line is bad, they're going 2-10, and 10, right? Uh, I don't know about two and ten, but like yes, they're 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 going to I mean, struggle and they're going to struggle look, in that first game badly. If they can't block Memphis, man, it's going to be a long year. Um, the defensive lines aren't getting worse. Yeah, but this is a pretty good Memphis team. I'm not I'm it not is. saying that. And in the offensive line, first game, a lot of young players. They could be a better football team if they stay healthy by the end of the year up front. Yeah, I, I guess they could improve. But man, I feel like it's, it's, besides New Mexico State, Southeast Louisiana, this is going to be the the worst defensive line you face. Um. Maybe I mean, is Cal's defensive line really that good? Oh, dude, Cal, Cal's a freak show on defense. I don't know, man. Their secondary is pretty good. I don't know about. De- I don't know up front. I mean, they were a pretty good defense last year. I guess. I guess they're better than Memphis. I'm trying to go down. And, I mean, I mean, Ar- you can convince me maybe Vanderbilt, but Arkansas. Nah, Arkansas is pretty decent on the defensive line. Yeah, but you also, like I was kind of saying a second ago, you have to factor in the fact that it is, like, they, they the offensive line, particularly if Givens isn't back, could be a disaster the first game and then figure it out. Yeah, I mean, if, if Givens isn't back and he comes back, that would certainly improve the offensive line. Um, I just kind of, man, Givens is there, they can't block Memphis. It just feels like a long year for them. Um, oh, I had a weather update. It's hot as shit. It's and everybody's like, oh, it's always hot. no. It's like a different kind of hot. No, it is. It, it is different. It's it because I I was so we were sitting there out there the other day, and Ole Miss has that that grass field that goes long ways, kind of parallel to the IPF, right. and then one that's perpendicular to the indoor practice facility that's a turf field. And they were doing like some kind of warm up something. I was watching, or maybe it was a defensive thing. Doesn't matter on the turf part. And I had been out there like five ten minutes already and then i walk over the turf part and i'm not kidding you i've sat there i've sat in like practices and stuff like that i've played golf in like hot weather like that but i've never just been standing there and had water just pouring 
down my face. I say water, sweat, just pouring down my face. I mean, it, it was unbelievable. I was like, this is the craziest thing ever. It, they, you know, David Johnson said he talked to his staffer or something the other day and claimed that the temperature on the turf was 153 degrees. I don't know if I necessarily buy that exact number, but know, it was man. hot, man, and it was a different kind of hot. I've never really felt it like that. Like it, it, it was, it was crazy, and I don't. I mean, I don't get how those guys go through that too. I don't understand how any of them do that on that turf field too, with those black pellets and how hot that stuff is. It's a different level of hot right now. Yeah, it. it like I said, look, we've both lived in Mississippi for our entire lives, but man, it's been one of the hotter weeks I've ever like seen. And I don't know if it's humidity, heat index, or what. I just know that I went outside to run yesterday, and I made it like half a mile, and my body's like, "Nah, bro, you're going back in." This is like at two o'clock. Holy crap. I mean, it is miserably hot. Yeah, and everyone talks about how, like, summer heat in, in Mississippi and all that. And it's really, yes, There's it's been a relatively tame summer for the most yeah. part as far as the heat. And But even in, in, in normal years, I would, I would call it, it's like, yeah, July gets pretty hot. But really the hottest time of right the now. entire summer is when the calendar turns to August leading into football. Really the entire month of August is just absolutely unbearable. Like July is the one you would think would be hot, but August is way worse than July. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it, it's still hot in September, man. Yeah, those first couple home games are going to be brutal, man. Like if the one of the particular – that Arkansas – when's the Arkansas game? It's not it's at 11 a.m., is it? It's a so night game. Oh, I guess that's good from a weather perspective. It's not good for my TV consumption. I don't know. It'll still be miserably hot. Yeah, will. But man, you play like I think what Sea Law's at three. Yeah, that's gonna be. Gone. Man, if you'd have played Arkansas at eleven a.m. on September eighth or whatever that is, that's gonna be just brutal. Oh, you see, everybody like thinks these eleven a.m. games are cooler, and I'm like, no, because when it gets twelve, it's hot, man. It's so miserably hot. I was hot at eleven. Yeah, no, it is. It is. Uh, it is incredibly warm. Um, I think that's about all I had from an Ole Miss football, as far as fall camp and all that um, goes. At least for right now, I was trying to make sure I didn't miss any injury notes. Nothing really serious. Just a bunch of guys banged up. Um. With minor stuff, like I kind of said earlier, if there was a game tomorrow, I think most of those guys would play barring the concussion guys just because there's a strict protocol. I don't really know where those guys are at in any of that. Um, I don't think I missed anything. I think I had just about everything I um, I wanted to get to with regards to that. Is there anything – I'm trying to think of just stuff going on around the SEC right now. Um Tommy Stevens is going to be state quarterback. Um, about all I got. Yeah, although Haydad was saying the other day, saying yesterday on the radio show, I think it's closer than maybe people were giving it credit for initially. Okay. I just think Tommy Stevens is taking the first snap against Lafayette. Probably, but if he's awful, I'm not sure how long his leash is. Oh, sure. I mean, nobody gets a long leash when – would the kid show up in like June or something? It was yeah. I mean, it was late. Like he was a, he was a summer transfer. Yeah, nobody's getting a long leash with that. Uh, Tate Martell got beat out at Miami. I know that's not SEC, but kind of funny. Yeah. So I don't really know much about this kid. Admittedly, I didn't watch that QB one series or whatever the one was where apparently he just showed his ass. So what is the story on this kid? Well, I know. I, mean, I, mean, I, I know the real story. I know he went to Ohio State 
and his com- I mean his recruitment was kind of a whirlwind. I think he was what committed to A and M, goes yeah. to Ohio State, talks about like how the current guy's trash and gets beat out, whatever, and then transfers. Like what is that? Like what? Why do people hate him? Well, okay. So first of all, he committed to Washington um, before he ever played a game in high school. Then he decommits, commits to A and M, and then when he's committed to A and M, he says that he's going to stay committed to A and M because, quote, Nick Starkle is trash and I'll start over him immediately. Uh, then he decommits from A&M, commits to uh, Ohio State, goes to Ohio State, gets pissy that he doesn't start over uh, Dwayne Haskins last year, uh, which I don't know if he saw First-round pick Dwayne Haskins? Do what? First-round pick Dwayne Haskins? Yeah, first-round pick Dwayne Haskins. Uh, so he's in line to be the starter. And now uh, he rightfully, like, a lot of the stuff he brought on himself, I would be pissed, too, if they brought Josh Fields in and I was supposed to be the starting quarterback. Um, so he transfers to Miami and the, the kid gets beat out at Miami this year. That was kind of on him because Miami's got like a high four-star or a five-star prospect that they redshirted last year waiting to take over. So, I mean, there was always a chance this was going to happen. But, yeah, uh, but the kid, the kid that, that's not the kid that start. that's not the kid that uh, won the job. The, won the yeah, jo- yeah. The, the kid that won the job was either a high four-star or a five-star. I can't remember which. So, from I don't know. I'm not going to pretend to know shit about shit with regards to Miami's quarterback situation, but from what I understood, um, um, the, it, like, so it was a three-way battle, basically, and the kid that won the job was considered third on the pecking order when the thing started. <laughs> Maybe so. Uh, I just I just Googled his name yesterday, and so I can't remember. I can just take a look. Look it up. He was either a four. Or five so they, they thought that. So I think most people considered that it was going to be Nikosi Perry or Tate Martell, and Jaron Williams kind of came in and just really like took over and won it. I'm not disagree. I'm not saying like your rating for whatever he was was off. I'm just saying I'm pretty sure. Basically, I read a couple two articles on it. Um, I think one was from the South Florida Sun Sentinel, and then two national guys, and they made it sound like this guy. This guy was. If you had to take a guess at how the quarterback battle was going to shake out, this guy was going to end up third, and he ended up winning the thing. Yeah, he was a four-star kid. He wasn't a highly ranked up. He was a he's a twenty-eight. He's a redshirt freshman, one hundred fifteenth ranked player in the twenty eighteen class. I mean, yeah, I wonder if Martell transfers again. Uh, Where do you go at this point, though? How, like, I, I mean, I'm not a math guy. So, how much how much eligibility does he have? So he redshirted in seventeen, played in eighteen. Um, so he'd be a redshirt sophomore this year. So he's going to graduate, so he can transfer for free. This will be his third year. Most of those guys graduate wherever. If he wanted to transfer wherever he could, wanted to go, he would be able to go immediately. FAU. <laughs> I do think he's. A, I think he's a talented kid. So I think somebody at the Power Five program would take a chance on him. So there's some baggage there. Yeah, so I don't know. I hate to see people like I hate to see kids like that get picked on. But it sounds like this kid's brought a lot of it on himself. Yeah, so he's brought a lot maybe of it on just himself. stop talking. Um, um, let's see. Oh, and Dak wants forty million dollars. Yeah, so do I. We're probably both going to get it. Look, I don't necessarily blame Dak Prescott for asking for this at all. Really? Like, why, why, like I'm not going to fault the guy for being like, hey, try to get as much money as you can. Yeah, okay. I, I'm with you there. Turning down a deal for $30 million that makes you a top five paid quarterback when you're probably, as far as skill set, is not top five paid quarterback 
is probably not smart, but really what the market dictates is where, like, Patrick Mahomes is probably going to get $40 million. Is Dak Prescott not Patrick Mahomes? No, absolutely not. But just what the market is dictating, really what's more interesting to me about this is where does this stop? How does this market even out, balance itself out? How does the market level out here? Because that's the way this kind of works with positions in the NFL is they fluctuate in value. Quarterback's always going to be the most valued position on a football team. That's never going to change. But the the blueprint for winning in the NFL is getting a team that's built to win now and drafting a quarterback and winning while they're on their rookie deal. Russell Wilson, Jared Goff, Jared stuff Goff. like that. Or guys that are making the 20 to $25 million, you know, you can maybe go up 28 29 Whatever, like Drew Brees, Ben Roethlisberger, Tom Brady, um, Aaron Rodgers is making a decent chunk of change, but still not that high. My point being is paying these quarterbacks the top market value for what they're deser- like for what the market says they deserve is not a recipe for winning. It, it, it teams don't win. You don't have enough fle- cap flexibility to spend elsewhere. So where does this stop? Where does like it, is it? Where does it take? I think it's going to take two borderline guys like Dak, where teams are actually like, "No, nah, we're going to let you walk because no one's giving you that m- amount of money elsewhere." Right? Yeah. No, so that, where does that? Exactly where and when does that happen? Because Patrick Mahomes is getting whatever amount of money he wants when he wants it, but like eventually this is going to level itself out because you're not going to be five years from now. We're not going to be paying, you know, Dak Prescott like quarterbacks forty five million dollars a year. One of these owners and GMs is going to be like, "Hey." This shit doesn't make any sense, but where did, where and when does that happen is what's interesting to me. And I feel like this is going to be the – Zach Prescott is not getting $40 million, I don't think. Like, Jerry Jones will tell him to kick rock. Um, I, I, he's not worth $40 million. I mean, I'm sorry. He, uh, I, think he's, I think he's just fine. Like, I think he's a decent NFL quarterback, but, man, there's a lot of those. Um, you know, I – is he gonna? Is he really the quarterback that you think is gonna win you a Super Bowl? I know Joe Flacco did, but they can win a Super Bowl with Dak Prescott as the team's currently constructed now. That team's good enough to go win a Super Bowl fully healthy as currently constructed. But the problem is, if you pay, if you pay Dak Prescott that amount of money, that team can't can't stay constructed as is for that long because you got to pay other guys. You have to pay Amari Cooper. You have to pay Zeke Elliott. You have to pay guys on the defensive side of the ball. That's that's exactly yeah. So. It, they can as of right now, but if you pay him that amount of money, the team's not going to stay that way. All and right, Dak needs help. This. Which one would be more easy to replace? Zeke Elliott, Dak Prescott, or Amari Cooper? I think it's probably Amari Cooper, but I think Dak Prescott would be next. Well, yeah, particularly with Dallas because they've really built that entire offense around Zeke. That's not Look, I think Dak's a good quarterback. Dak is a very good quarterback in late-game situations. He makes the plays he's asked to make, and he makes very few mistakes. I hate to leave the term game manager because I think he has more in, like I think he I think he has more playmaking ability than a normal game manager. So I hate that use that term, but he is limited to some degree in what he's able to do throwing the football. His arm is really the biggest thing that's holding him back yeah. here. If he had an arm strength I mean, I don't want to say Aaron Rodgers because that's generational. If he had a better level arm strength, Matt Stafford, something like that, this probably wouldn't be a conversation, but he doesn't. And so probably it's probably Amari Cooper and then Dak Prescott in terms of replaceability. Who's, who's the comparison to him? Like, I think he's, I think he's better than Andy Dalton. Um, I'm trying to think, like, who would be a comp? Slightly worse Matt Ryan. Yeah, that, that's probably – well, Matt Ryan with left arm strength, uh, but more athleticism. Yeah, so that'll be interesting to see how that plays out because it's definitely going to be dramatic when it involves the Cowboys. Um, 
So I'm going to call an audible on the conspiracy theory thing um, with regards to the Michael Jordan thing because this Ep- Jeffrey Epstein stuff is wild. Oh, he got murdered. Yeah, I'm not a conspiracy theory god, but I just really have a hard time believing it because the amount of things that came out about what he knows about powerful people in this country and some of the things that happened with un- you know at his. I hate. I, I get uncomfortable talking about you know his island and all of that yeah. stuff. Yeah. But I, I just find that incredibly hard to believe. He was supposedly on suicide watch. Was mysteriously not on suicide watch the night of um, the the night of when this happened. Um, my I don't know where this came from. Oh, this came from the New York Times. Wow. Okay, listen to this. My girlfriend actually just sent me this. Um, this is a quote from the New York Times story as far as Jeffrey Epstein, and it's from an anonymous guard that was on duty. It says, quote, I was the guard on duty. My shift ended. A new guard came. I've never seen him before. I said, what's your name? And he goes, Steve. And I said, Steve what? And he looks around for a second and said, Steve Jail. My name is Steve Jail. I was tired and that seemed legit, so I left. Oof. Oh, uh, boy. <laughs> never seen him before. What was his name? I couldn't make it out. Uh, so, yeah. That, that, Steve, Steve what was his last name? Jail. Oh. He looked around for a second and said, my name is Steve Jail. Okay. <laughs> if he says so. Uh, yeah, he was murdered. I mean, it, I, this, this, one's not, this one's not even debatable to me, really. Uh, he, he got killed. Yeah. I mean, I'm... I'm not sad about it. Um, Look, I'm not a conspiracy theory guy. I know we do this segment. I think it's funny that once we started getting the mailbag Fridays, people started sending these in. They're funny to entertain. I obviously don't believe... I don't think I've ever actually believed any of the conspiracy theories we've brought up on this thing. Wait, um, you don't believe the Michael Jordan one? We haven't brought that up yet. That's going to be okay. next week, which we keep okay. pushing back. Right. I think this one took precedent, though, because it's timely. Yeah, My yeah, point yeah. being is I don't necessarily believe any of the stuff that we brought up. I think it's funny to entertain. But this one... I mean, come on, man. I don't know who had killed. Uh, I think it was one of two people, but uh, or one of two families. But uh, yeah, <laughs> I don't. I don't think the boy committed suicide either. Uh, yeah. Um. Anyway, we need to wrap this up because I got to get to practice here in a second. We uh, started a little bit late today. I had some trouble getting here. Um. <laughs> But we're all we're all good now. I um I'm gonna run to practice. We'll be back on Friday, which is the people's holiday. It is mailbag Friday. Um Borky pinch hit last week, college back this week. Send us your questions, text me, um, tweet me, um email, whatever. Send us your questions in. Be thinking of some good ones. They can be almost football-related, college football, life advice. I don't really care. I'd like some football ones because it is getting close to football season, NFL, baseball, whatever you want, we'll answer it. Um, thank you for uh, listening today. Thanks for listening. As always, like and subscribe to the podcast. We need more uh, subscriptions. Um, that makes us feel good, makes my boss happy. Uh, leave a review. You can say whatever you want on the review. I'll settle for four stars. It'd be, be a real treat if it was five. Uh, just consider that a nice tip. Um, that's about all I got. I got to go to practice. Sounds good. All right, the People's Podcast will be back on Friday. Uh, for Brian Scott Rippey, I am Colin Brister. We appreciate you guys <laughs> listening. A Super Talk Mississippi <laughs> media production.